0: chapter 12 of william again by rick this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter 12 william sells the twins william and ginger william's faithful friend and ally were in a state of bankruptcy they lacked even the paltry tuppence necessary to buy sweets in these days of inflated prices and life was unendurable They had approached the adult members of their respective families only to meet that callousness and indifference so characteristic of adults in their dealings with the young. They sat in the open space of ground behind Ginger's house and solemnly considered their assets. Asset one, an India rubber ball with a hole in it which they had offered to the boy next door for sixpence and which he had refused. Asset two, a pansy root surreptitiously taken from William's father's garden. They had taken this to the local nursery gardener and offered it to him for fivepence halfpenny. They had afterwards retrieved it from the gutter, whither that irascible man had flung it in indignant fury. Asset three, the twins. The twins really belonged to Ginger that is to say they were ginger's cousins and were paying a visit to ginger's family they had been there a week now and to ginger it had been a very long week on their arrival he had found to his horror that he was expected to take an interest in them even to the extent of taking them about with him wherever he went He had almost become accustomed by now to their continual presence, but still he disliked them intensely. In all his daring adventures and escapades and games he was to be hampered by the two of them, George and John, both placid, both plump, both three and a half years old. He had to listen to William's comments on their appearances and mental powers. Comments with which he privately agreed, but which, for the sake of the honor of his family, he was obliged to resent and avenge. Today, to add insult to injury, his mother had told him to see that they kept clean, as their mother was coming to take them home that afternoon. That at any rate was a blessing. It would be the last day of his persecution but the ignominy that a desperate bravado should have to spend his noble energy keeping children clean george and john were sitting now on the ground pulling up bits of grass and eating them william and ginger watched them scornfully pity we can't make a bit of money out of them said william nah agreed ginger they've been enough trouble a speculative look came into william's eye If we'd lived in historical times, he said, we might have sold them as slaves like what Miss Jones told us about. Ginger gasped at the daring idea. Then his eye fell upon them gloomily. No one would have bought them, he said. No one what knew them as well as I do. You silly, said William. They wouldn't know them. They just see them in a kind of particular place and think they looked nice. Well, they don't. Or cheap and just buy em. Well, what for? Fancy anyone paying money for them, for those. You're so silly, said William patiently. They'd just buy em once when they were quite little and just pay once for em and then have em all the rest of their lives to do work for em and they'd never pay any more after they'd just paid for em once. See? Ginger brightened. Do you think anyone would? he said. William replied with superior scorn. If you'd been listening in history today, you'd know that people don't do it now. Someone or other stopped them. Ginger considered this deeply. You never know, he said. It might be coming in fashion again. Things do. We might try it. You never know. Someone might just like the look of them or think them cheap or... Even William was horrified. Yes, he broke in. And then, when we've sold em, what'll you say to their mother? Just you tell me that. What'd you say to their mother when you've sold em? Ginger had been considering deeply. "'and Suddenly, his brow cleared. I know. We could watch where they took em to, the ones that bought em, and rescue em before anyone knows anything about it. Sounds all right, said William guardedly. "'Ginger turned to his charges. "'You'd like to be slaves, wouldn't you?' he asked, brightly and persuasively. "Yes," chorused George and John. "'You see,' said Ginger triumphantly to William, "'I'll go and fix things up. It's worth trying, anyway.' "'Sounds all right,' said William again, doubtfully, and added gloomily out of the vast store of his experience, "'but you never know where things ends.' A few minutes later, Ginger brought two large luggage labels, each inscribed SLAVE CHEAP, and on the back of each label was printed six and a half pence. He fastened a label to each twin's neck to their riotous delight. Then they sat on the open space by the roadside awaiting customers. But it seemed to be a slack time for the slave trade. Only three people passed, and they did not even look at the patient group of four eager, small boys. The procedure had been explained to George and John, as far as their infant intelligences could absorb it, and they expressed themselves willing and anxious to be sold and rescued. At last, when they were tired of waiting, a fourth passer by appeared, an old man walking very slowly. William, taking his courage in both hands, approached him. "'Do you want a slave?' he asked. "'Ah?' said the old man. "'Do you want a slave?' "'What?' said the old man. "'Do you want a slave?' repeated William slowly. "'Speak up, speak up,' said the old man irritably. "'Can't you see that I'm deaf? What do you want? What do you want?' William, whose nerves were suffering from the repetition of the question, cleared his throat and shouted again, hoarsely, Do you want a slave? The old man snorted, Want a shave? Want a shave? he said angrily. No, I don't want a shave, you impudent little boy, you little rascal. He made a feint at William with his stick, then went off muttering to himself, "'William, slightly shaken by the encounter, returned to his friends. "'It's no good doing it this way,' he said despondently. "'We shall have to take them round to people's houses "'by what they do brushes and things.' "'The twins gave a scream of delight at the suggestion. "'Then they trotted off happily, George holding Ginger's hand, "'and John Williams, both wearing their labels. "'Let's go a good way off,' said Ginger, "'somewhere where they won't know us.' They walked down a few streets till William said, "'We'll go into the first house round the corner.' William was looking pale, but resolved. Having embarked upon the dangerous venture, he was determined to carry it through. They came to the next house round the corner and walked up an overshadowed neglected drive. They slackened speed considerably as they neared the door. You'd better do the talkin, said Ginger faintly, with a propitiatory air. You're better at talkin than what I am. Oh, I am, am I? said William irritably. Yes, you think so, don't you? Oh, yes, you think so when it's kind of talkin you don't want to do. Oh, yes, huh? They stood apprehensively on the front doorstep and gazed at the milk-jug that was standing there. Looks as if they was out, said Ginger. "'Oh, yes,' said William, scathing but relieved. "'You don't mind doing the talkin' now, do you? "'You don't think I'm better at talkin' than what you are now, do you? "'You don't mind talking to a milk-jug. "'Oh, no!' "'You think you're so clever,' said Ginger bitterly. "'Who thought of making em slaves first of all, anyway? "'Just tell me that.' "'Well, what good's it done?' retorted William. "'Nobody'll buy em. em to an old empty house, what good's that done? You tell me that?' The argument would have pursued its normal course to physical violence had not George raised his voice plaintively. "'Wanner be a save!' he pleaded. With a heroic gesture and lips firmly shut, William raised his hand to the bell and pulled hard. "'That'll show em,' he said darkly. The echoes of the bell died slowly away within the house. No sound of human habitation broke the tense silence on the front doorstep. Well, said William weakly, that's shown em anyway. Then he peered suddenly into the milk jug. Crumbs, he exclaimed. A bob. Slowly he withdrew the coin and turned his eyes towards the twins. It'll just pay for 'em,' he said. They're cheap today. Ginger was taken aback. But, but you don't know they want em. Want em? Of course they want em, said William scornfully. Anybody'd want em. Two slaves, cheap at that. I bet they'd have fetched pounds and pounds in historical times. It's only cause they're a bit out of fashion that they've been sold at sixpence halfpenny. At this moment a milkboy appeared, staggering up the drive, and William hastily put the coin into his pocket. "'Hello, kids,' said the milk-boy. At other moments William might have made a practical protest against the appellation, but he felt his present position to be too precarious for active aggression. He merely replied coldly, "'Hello, Milky.' "'If you belong here,' went on the milk-boy cheerfully, having filled the jug. "'Tell them they forgot the money. So long. Be good.' WITH A CERTAIN RELIEF, THEY WATCHED HIS FIGURE DISAPPEAR ROUND THE GATEWAY. JOHN AT ONCE RAISED HIS VOICE. WANNER BE A SAVE, HE DEMANDED TEARFULLY. WANNER BE A SAVE, JOINED IN GEORGE. WILLIAM LOOKED ROUND DESPERATELY. HERE, HAVE A DRINK OF NICE MILK, HE SAID. THEY OBEYED. THEY FOUGHT FOR THE MILK JUG AND SPILT SOME UPON THEIR LABELS AND SOME UPON THEIR COATS, BUT THEY BOTH MANAGED TO DRINK A FAIR AMOUNT. Finally, they put down the empty jug between them and beamed complacently upon the world again. "'Let's leave them and go and spend the shilling,' said William, "'and then come back and rescue them.' "'Oh, yes,' said the twins. William and Ginger went slowly down the drive. At the end, they turned round. The twins were sitting side by side on the doorstep, smiling and waving fat hands. Their labels were milky and slightly awry, but still they adhered to their persons. William and Ginger turned into the road. William took out the shilling. "'I say,' said Ginger, "I "'I suppose it's honest?' honest said william scornfully is more than honest we've give them a penny the slaves was sixpence halfpenny each proper price and we've only took a shilling the shilling was successful it provided them with licorice bull's eyes two surprise packets and an india rubber ball in their bliss they forgot the flight of time it was Ginger who remembered it first. "'I say,' he said, "'we'd better be doin' that rescue and quick. Their mother will be here soon.' They set off down the road. Both walked jauntily, as though to hide some secret apprehension. "'Hope we will be able to rescue them,' said William, with an attempt at lightness. "'Oh, that'll be all right,' said Ginger, with an unconvincing carelessness of tone.' In both their minds was a horrible vision in which the twins' mother played the part of avenging fury. They walked up the drive. The twins were not on the doorstep. A broken milk jug alone marked the scene of their parting from the twins. Their hearts sank yet farther as they surveyed it. "'Well,' said Ginger, moistening his lips, "'we'd better start rescuing.' Drawing a deep breath, he rang the bell again the echoes died away in distant regions again there came no sounds of human habitation there was horror on william's freckled face his naturally wild hair was at its wildest the vision of the outraged parent of the twins seemed to fill the whole world There's sure to be somewhere said ginger still with his gallant but ineffectual attempt at lightness. "'Oh, yes,' agreed William gloomily. "'You can tell her that.' They searched the garden. They threw stones at the windows. They called Georgie and Johnny, hoarsely and with a pathetic appeal they had never used to those infants before. Then they turned very slowly towards the gate. "'What can we do now?' said Ginger. "'Nothing,' said William shortly. Very, very slowly, they began to walk down the road. "'You can do the talkin' to their mother,' said William. "'I was going to do the talkin' before, wasn't I?' "'Well, you can do it now.' "'Oh, yes,' said Ginger, with weary sarcasm. "'A lot of talkin' you did, didn't you? Anyway, there won't need to be much talkin'—not from us. She'll do the talkin' all right.' After a short silence, Ginger spoke again anyway he said in a feeble voice we got a jolly lot of things for that bob it was a feeble remark and was treated by william with the contemptuous silence it deserved as they turned the corner of the road a lady wearing a tall toque came into sight walking hurriedly toward them ah, it's her said ginger with a groan where are the twins she demanded sternly To William, it seemed as if his heart descended through his boots into the center of the earth. "'Where are the twins?' she said again. It was William who answered, "'We don't know,' he said desperately. "'We've sold them. We've sold them as slaves.' The twins, left to themselves on the doorstep, replete with excitement and milk, fell happily asleep upon each other's shoulders. The minutes passed by. They awoke to find a young man looking at them in bewilderment. With him were two ladies, one tall and thin, one short and fat. "'Where do you live, little boys?' said the tall lady. George smiled at her. "'Here,' he said brightly. "'We're saves.' The young man raised a hand to his brow. "'Good Lord!' he groaned. "'Surely they don't go with the house, fixtures or something.' The tall lady was looking at them with a dark frown. "'It's strange,' she said. "'There must be some meaning in it.' The young man took out a latch-key, stumbled over the milk-jug, and entered the hall, followed by the tall lady, the short lady, John, and George. "'They can't go with the house,' said the young man plaintively. "'I took it furnished. But, good heavens, furniture can't include uh, these.' Did you know the man you took it from? said the short one. No, we fixed everything up by letter, and he cleared out this morning. There's some meaning in it, if only we knew, said the tall one again, mysteriously. We're saves, said John. William come soon. Good Lord, another, groaned the young man. Slaves, uh, six and a half pence, she read out. It must be a code. They may be a a plant, don't you call it, a confidence trick, burglars' trap. I think we ought to take them straight to Dr. Bernardo's homes. But perhaps they aren't waifs, said the stout one. Are you waifs, darlings? No, saves said George, and William coming soon. I see it all, said the stout one suddenly. It's as clear as daylight. William's the burglar. He sent them to help him effect an entrance. "'Oh, I'm hungry,' said John. His plaint broke suddenly into a loud howl, in which George joined. Their united efforts produced a noise that made the tall lady lean back against the wall, with eyes closed and a hand on her head, and sent the young man flying into the kitchen. "'Where's the larder?' he cried desperately. "'Food! Food! At any price! He said he'd get in necessities! Do something! Anything! They'll have fits or something!' Oh, I can't bear it!' moaned the tall lady faintly. The young man came running back with a pot of honey and a pot of jam. He handed one to each of the twins, and the yells subsided. The tall lady opened her eyes, and the young man mopped his brow. "'I can't stand any more of this,' he said. "'I've come here to work quietly. If they go with the house, I shan't be able to work anyway at all.' "'Dear nephew,' said the tall lady, "'we will never desert you.' "'It's awfully good of you, aunt,' he said hastily, "'but I shouldn't dream of presuming on your kindness. You were only coming to settle me in, you know.' "'Before I go,' she said with firmness, "'I must solve the mystery of these dear children.' She took up their labels again and studied them with knitted brows. I've come to the definite conclusion, she said at last, that it's a code, it's some kind of message. But who from? said the other. Give me time, she answered with dignity, I must decipher the code first. They all looked at the twins. George smiled through a thick covering of honey. John smiled through a thick covering of jam. They sat in pools of jam and honey. "'He'll make me pay for that,' said the young man. "'He'll say I'm responsible.' "'You are dear, legally,' said the stout one brightly. "'Now I'm going to talk to these dear children and get to the bottom of this. "'Now, darlings, who's William?' Willum's nice,' said George. "'Yes, darling, but what does he do? "'Who is he?' Willum sells us,' said John proudly." He doesn't sell little boys, surely, said the tall lady, aghast. George and John nodded their heads. Yes, he does. He's not your father, is he? Oh, no, they call us. He's Willem. He sells us. A kidnapper, said the stout lady sharply. That's it, a kidnapper. We must get to the bottom of this. We must confront the man. I still think, said the other dreamily, that it's a plant or a code. Do you know where William lives? asked the stout lady of George. Oh, yes, said George proudly. I will confront this man, she said dramatically, and you must support me. The young man groaned. It's all like a nightmare, he said. It'll knock me off work for months. Couldn't you use it? suggested the stout lady. It would make a most sensational plot. The mysterious children, the code, the "'Thank you,' said the young man coldly. "'I don't go in for sensational plots.' The procession set out. First John and the stout lady, then George and the thin lady, then the young man wearing a set, agonized expression. "'And I came here for quiet and rest,' he muttered pathetically. "'Take us to William's house, darling,' said the stout lady to John. "'We ought to have brought some sort of a weapon,' said her sister grimly. "'Vivian will protect us,' said the other bravely. Vivian groaned again in the gathering dusk. The twins had led the procession on to the common with every sign of confidence, but now they stopped. "'Want more damn? said John. want or go home,' said George. "'We'll just go down this path and see if it leads anywhere,' said the short lady. "'Uncertainly. Vivian will stay with the children.' They returned in a few minutes. "'Nothing to be seen. Absolutely nothing. It's most unfortunate. Vivian, where are the children?' Vivian, who was leaning against a tree, his eyes dreamily fixed on the distance, roused himself. "'What children? Oh, damn, I'd forgotten them. Here, aren't they? Just messing about. They they were—I just got an idea when you disturbed me.' "'But the children!' gasped the stout one, staring wildly round the dim landscape. The young man ran his fingers through his hair. The thin lady gave a little scream. "'It was all a plot. They've led us to a lonely spot, and now somebody's going to murder us.' "'They'll be all right,' said the young man miserably. "'Children always are. I'm getting a cold. Let's go home.' "'Don't be foolish,' said the stout one sternly. I will not move from this spot till I have found the children. If necessary, I will search all night, and you with me." They began to trudge wearily in single-file along the narrow path. Ooh! Someone's coming!' screamed the thin lady. "'Let us be brave. Offer no resistance. They're sure to be desperate. Vivian, for my sake, don't be rash. Don't kill anyone!' But it was another little procession that was approaching them, as weary-looking as their own at the head walked a woman in a tall toque at the end walked a small boy with freckles and untidy hair and a dejected expression they peered into each other's faces have you seen two little boys they all began simultaneously john said the twins mother george said the stout lady then the thin lady and the twins mother had hysterics it was william who found them in a dry ditch nearby. They were fast asleep, with blissful smiles upon their mouths, besmeared with jam and honey. They awoke and stared in amazement at the crowd of friends and relations. "'Nice, William,' murmured George sleepily. "'Wanna be a save again,' said John. "'Want more damn.'" End of chapter 12